0: So we have Heather Wilson presenting for us today, and she's going to help us uh, from the teacher's perspective. So one thing that I really like about how we were able to design this symposium is that we're seeing how changes can be made at the different levels, because it is definitely something that requires a system-wide change to be the most effective and it's not something that we can just wait and do. This is something that needs to be done today. It should have been done yesterday. But there are things that we can do to make the changes uh, to our literacy instruction. And uh, Heather's presentation is called Advice for Teachers Looking to cha- Make a Change in Literacy Instruction.
1: Thank you, Catherine. So I'll, I'll dive right in. Uh, I'd like to begin the final presentation prior to the panel discussion today with the land acknowledgement. I know we're all over the place coming, uh, tuning in from all over, but I would like to respectfully acknowledge that I am presenting to you today from Treaty 6 territory, the ancestral and traditional territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, Nakota Sioux, as well as the Métis. Together, we acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have gone before us. We recognize the land as an act of reconciliation and gratitude to those whose territory we reside on or are visiting. Thank you. So my name is Heather Wilson. I know my little moniker down there says Matthew Kierstead, We're just trying to minimize computer disruptions here. Uh, I am an early years teacher, elementary trained, uh, special education trained uh, reading specialist and learning support teacher. Uh, I've also been engaged in some consulting over the last couple of years. And I do have my master's in, in uh, reading, writing and oral language difficulties, which was part of But not all of my journey, and and certainly my journey is ongoing. The more I I learn, uh, the more I recognize I still have to learn. And so I'm really pleased to be here uh, to present to you today. And I've I've been listening um, since the beginning of of the presentations this morning. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that maybe I would uh, just say before I get too far into it is is, uh, some of these some of the themes in my presentation may be um, uh, familiar from, from some of the earlier presenters. And I think that there's, there's uh, some powerful um, thinking to take away from that. These things are important and they're important not only from a systems you know, larger perspective, but also important from a, a classroom perspective as well. So what I hope to uh, provide or present to you today is um, really my my main challenge, which is the primary advice for teachers uh, around professional learning. I'm going to suggest three larger areas for uh, ongoing professional development and professional learning that can really impact your um, ability to support students in their literacy growth, regardless of, of what grade you're teaching, um, and, and what your circumstances might be. Uh, and so within that, we've talked a lot about intervention today, and I'm gonna shift the language a little bit to um, more of a response to instruction perspective. So classroom teachers have a role to play within the RTI framework. And so uh, I'll talk a bit about that, uh, not as much as I might have because it's been covered so well already uh, by some of the other presenters. Um, and I will also uh, not going to give you a whole big, huge lecture, but just uh, touch a little bit on some of the content knowledge that Dr. Kirsten had mentioned, which is, uh, you know, the entry point, uh, the simple view of reading, and then the five pillars as identified by the National Reading Panel, and then jumping on those five pillars take a look at some of that pedagogical knowledge, which are some key evidence-based instructional considerations, and a few assessment suggestions for the less formal, so more progress monitoring type type assessments uh, that we may be um, using within our classrooms. So uh, the first, The first and and overarching piece of advice is that uh, we need to lean into our professionalism as teachers and as such, we have an ongoing responsibility to continue to hone our craft and our craft is teaching. And so, uh, you know, I know, I I did my BED, I came out of there. I knew when I came out of there, I did not have the tools that I needed in order to be an effective teacher, um, particularly around reading uh, teaching teaching kids to read. I really remember that actually, even in a particular class that I took where I I was, I remember this moment in the class and we're looking through these materials that, you know, were brought in. And I remember thinking to myself, I have no idea what to do with this stuff. They're not telling me what to do with this stuff. Um, And so that was many, many years ago now. Um, But that's just not not an acceptable answer. We need to continue to to challenge ourselves, to push ourselves and continue to to learn to grow. Uh, And we also need to know um, enough to become critical consumers of the professional development opportunities that are made available to us, whether they be through uh, uh, at the provincial level or through our divisions. Um, Critical consumers of the professional development as well as the resources that um, our schools may have invested in. So as professionals, we do have an obligation uh, to actively engage in professional improvement. And so I will suggest three main areas, these should also look very familiar. (laughs) After these other presentations here today, I would suggest as teachers, we need to have a solid understanding of the science Behind learning to read, and so again, you know, similar to what Dr. kierstead had previously referred to as content knowledge, we need to understand the the what, the what it is that we are trying to um, trying to teach. It also suggests that. Uh, we focus our professional learning on how to provide structured literacy within our own classroom environments, whatever environment that might be. And as somebody mentioned in the chat earlier, it it does look different. It looks different in kindergarten, it looks different in in grade one, it looks different in grade eight and grade 12. Um, So, you know, that learning may may look different depending on your context. Uh, But we still need to understand how to implement instructional practices that maximize the critical skills that we need to be focusing on in order to teach the the content, the science of learning to read. And there's been much talk today all about uh, screening and data, and so there is a place in our classrooms to be making use of of the data. So we need to have some understanding of what these numbers are telling us, how best to read them, who can help us, you know, if it's not making sense. Uh, We can have all the systems and mechanisms in place um, that we want. But if the teachers aren't involved actively, then you know it's it's really not going to go anywhere. It, it needs to be uh, something that we can make use of, and so we need to understand how to make use of it. And uh, data literacy can help us with that. And so one um, framework that we've heard much about already today is the response to intervention a response to instruction framework. And this framework, I really uh, latched onto it as a teacher myself, because it, it helped me, it brought structure to uh, an understanding to how I could use the data that was that was coming to me that we were working so hard to collect. Um, what, what can I do to make use of it? RTI is really great because you can apply it at all the systems level. We've been talking about provincially, your district, your school, your grade level team can can be making decisions uh, using the response to intervention or instruction framework, and then even your own classroom. If you are uh, on your own, you know, if you're trying to forge ahead, you can still make use of this framework to help make uh, data informed decisions. And so, I'm not gonna. Uh, talk about this for, for too long, because I think, it, as I've mentioned, it's already been well, uh, well discussed, but there are five uh, recommendations, you know, broad, broad strokes recommendations around RTI uh, and how to implement it. The first one at the universal level, screening all the students and monitoring those students who are at, li- at risk still at the universal level, we're gonna make use of that screening information to help us differentiate our instruction. Some students are going to benefit from and maybe require instruction in addition to their tier one instruction so everybody gets tier one some kids are going to need more than that and so tier two intervention the recommendation is that it is targeted targeted means that it's focused on specific skills and those skills should be identified through your screening results we're not pulling them out of a hat they are they are you know, identified. We have evidence that this is an area of def- deficit for our students. We provide the intervention in a systematic way and in generally small small groups. Um, and so, I know George touched touched on this earlier today. Much of to you about uh, should it be in the class? Should it be out of the class as a classroom teacher? If you're if you're engaging your students in small small group targeted instruction, you can be. Uh, you know, actively a part of the tier two, the tier two uh, process. And oops, and then some uh, in order to ensure that what we're doing is working and we don't have time to waste here, we need to monitor uh, student progress really frequently. Dr. Kirstead talked about once a week, that's a lot, uh, but it's not impossible. And it, it really, the the amount of progress monitoring should be based on the intensity, the level of it, of the uh, a support that a student might be requiring, even within your own classroom, so you might be monitoring some students um, much more often, uh, more frequently than some of your other students. And we do know that there are some students who will require a much more intensive level of support in their, in order to to achieve their goals and to show growth, spinning my mouse the wrong way, there we go. Uh, Tier one, this is our bread and butter as classroom teachers, but it's not the only place where we should be working. Um, Using our screening data, we can be providing differentiated instruction. And so uh, this Good evidence based classroom instruction should be teaching the essential skills and strategies that our students uh, need to have here in Alberta our our new e- English language arts and literature curriculum is a great place to start if you're not sure what those essential skills and strategies are, uh, it should be differentiated based on the assessment results and we should be flexible and adapt to the students needs as they're as they're moving forward with instruction or not moving forward and then we also need to be adapt, uh, uh, adaptable to that. We need to provide multiple opportunities for students to to, uh, practice skills and then to apply those skills. Uh, And whether that be in reading or writing or something in math or behavior, um, we need to provide multiple opportunities to practice. And we can't just cover the, the curriculum, can't just cover the content in our tier one instruction, we need to ensure that the students are learning what we're teaching. And so we do need to be engaged in progress monitoring at at the uh, tier one universal level as well. Uh, In tier two, again, this can happen in your classroom outside of your classroom, but but I think that the primary uh, piece of advice I would give if you're trying to implement some targeted um, instruction, small group instruction is that be, very clear yourself about what it is you are targeting. Uh, it cannot be a shotgun blast approach of boom, we're just going to read, you know, do some reading and try to cover absolutely everything. First of all, you won't have time, you won't do service to anything, and you'll start to feel frustrated, and your students are not going to make the progress that you would hope that they would make. So, targeted does mean you need to be able to clearly articulate what skills uh, it is that you are teaching and then you also need to be able to clearly assess their progress in that area. So the the, um, screening or the assessment data, the instructional focus and resources and the progress monitoring assessments all need to be aligned. We need to be looking at the same things across here. Otherwise it'll be, it'll make you bananas. You'll, You'll feel uh, frustrated and you won't be able to, to do what, what it is you mean to, you mean to do. If you're not sure what to target, then you know a little bit deeper digging into some more diagnostic assessment um, might be helpful there. If your students are not making the appropriate progress in Tier 2, we may need to consider moving up to Tier three. Dr. Gerstad mentioned already some ways in which you can increase, um, increase the intensity, or, or, or help make a shift between tier two and tier three. I had heard, you, you know, even when I first started in as a learning support teacher, which was many years ago, but uh, well, increase the intensity, let's increase the intensity. And I really did not understand what that meant. Um, and so uh, there are four ways that you can increase intensity. I know Dr. had mentioned a couple of them. Uh, the, the four ways that you can increase intensity is you can increase the time. And so uh, Dr. Giurigio said, well, don't keep a kid for an hour. I totally agree. They're not going to be with you for an hour, uh, depending on their age. But you you uh, still can increase the amount of time that you are spending with them uh, through, through um, multiple, maybe multiple uh, Uh, pull aside uh, throughout a day, Um, or you can increase the frequency in other ways as well. Maybe you were working with them three times a week. Now, you know, it's definitely gonna be five times a week. So we can increase the time. We can increase the frequency. You can change the ratio. If they were in a small group, now they get you for some one-on-one face time and you can narrow the focus. So even though you might've been providing targeted uh, intervention, Maybe we're looking at PA, phonics and some fluency stuff. Let's narrow that even further. So four ways that we can increase intensity, even within our own classrooms. And so within the RTI framework, as a classroom teacher, we should know for any given subject, which of our students are sitting in tier one, tier two, and tier three uh, within the within structure. We should know who they are and we should also know why they are in that um, in that tier. They're in tier two, why are they there? What is it that you need to be focusing on? And who else, who else in that list of kids also needs that same kind of focus? And then we can begin our work around grouping students. So I... Uh, Really like the RTI framework. I like it not just for school-wide uh, structure, but also for um, smaller smaller systems like classrooms. So the big picture is like the content knowledge. Like, what is it actually? How do we get? How do we teach kids to read? That's that's the big the big uh, picture. How is it that people move to become readers? Um, uh, it doesn't matter what you teach or grade, uh, what, what subjects, what grades, we are all teachers of literacy. Literacy is a part of absolutely every subject that we teach. And so uh, as such, we, we all have a responsibility um, to develop our own understanding about the science of learning to read. How is it that these things happen? Uh, and this is just such a critical part of our, our professional learning. And so the simple view of reading is is like a great first place to start, but also it's a great place to keep coming back to years and years into your journey as well. Um, So the simple view of reading very briefly uh, states that, you know, ultimately. The the goal of reading is to comprehend. We read because we want to understand what it is that's on the page. We want to understand it for a variety of purposes. Maybe we're trying to learn something. Maybe we're critiquing something. Maybe we are just going to want to enjoy something. But the ultimate goal is for us to understand understand what it is that we are reading. And in order for that to happen, we need to have two components working optimally. and so those two components are word recognition, so the ability to take, see printed text and then take, take the words up, uh, off the page, and oral language comprehension, which is our ability to, our language skills, our ability to understand spoken language. Both of these things need to be in place and need to be in place well in order f- for us to have success with reading comprehension. If one of these areas is impacted, we will have impacted reading comprehension. If both of these areas are impacted, then we're really going to struggle. But regardless, we need to have both of these uh, components in place um, in order for for us to uh, achieve the goal, which is to be competent, capable readers who can can comprehend what we are uh, trying to read. As I believe Dr. Kirsted mentioned, the simple view of reading is beautiful because it's simple. Um, and, and so when a teacher comes and says, I don't know, you know, they just, they can't understand what they're reading, well, then we can begin the conversation of where in this equation do you think that the, the breakdown is starting to happen? And then from there, uh, that's just the beginning of the conversation because really reading is quite a complex uh, process. Um, this is just a, a great, a great place to begin that conversation. Scarborough's Reading Rope is another really popular uh, uh, visual that helps us take the simple view of reading and break it out a little bit more into the sub-skills that are involved. And so we can still see those two components or language comprehension and word recognition, but now we can begin to see, unravel the strands to begin to see just how complex uh, these different processes are. And so if, you know, back to that, well, they're just not comprehending, I don't know, you know, well, they didn't read very many of the words correctly. Okay, now we're down into the, the word recognition component and now we can see start to even have some more conversations Um, but this is a lot to tackle you know generally like in in the classroom and so as uh Catherine mentioned earlier as well the national reading panels report almost 20 or over 20 years old now um outlined for us the big five like what what is it that we need to be focusing on in our in our uh classrooms and the focus These are foundational skills. And so the focus may shift and may look different, again, depending on what grade you're teaching your student population. However, the five pillars of reading uh, are phonemic awareness, the ability to understand and manipulate, hear the sounds in our words. Phonics, which are the grapheme phoneme correspondences, the letters that represent those sounds and letter combinations that represent those sounds. Fluency, which is uh, made up of accuracy, automaticity. So are we reading it right? Uh, How effortful is it? Can we do it effortlessly? And prosody, which is, you know, attending to punctuation, reading with expression, um, where are we putting the emphasis on words, et cetera vocabulary, uh, which is, you know, an obvious piece of oral language uh, comprehension, and then comprehension. Comprehension is the pillar. It's also the goal. And so uh, it, it's uh, represented in here as well as um, an area where we can focus our instruction. And so for the last section of my presentation, I'm going to break down each of the instructors Um, The five pillars use the five pillars as my structure uh, and give a few um, zoomed out look at key research ideas about how best to uh, approach these within your classroom. So we know they're important, but are there some ways in which we can maximize our efficiency and effectiveness when we're when we're teaching uh, to these particular um, skills and areas? So these are more big ideas. And again, I hope I hope this can be useful regardless of your teaching context, regardless of whether you're working in kindergarten uh, or, or in grade 12. And so using the five pillars as, as a structure, you know, it's worth, it's worth noting too, I know for those of you not in Alberta, we are talking a lot about the Alberta context, but taking a look here at our five pillars of reading, and for those of us familiar with, with um, all of these pieces, then comparing that with the Alberta, uh, the new Alberta English language arts, language arts and literature curriculum, we can really see uh, a tight correlation is very nicely lined obviously the curriculum has goes into other aspects like writing and, and um, other areas as well but uh, i I'm, I'm really excited as a teacher to see this alignment because I, I, I really think it will make our jobs easier. We need to focus on this and it's also our curriculum. So that's really handy. It doesn't always happen, as we've also discussed. Um, so what I hope here are uh, uh, to provide are some high impact suggestions that that are are evidence-based. And again, they're a little bit more zoomed out. They're not super specific. I'm not going to go out and tell you to build a sound wall, for example. Um, So these are a little bit more zoomed out uh, in the interest of, of hopefully providing something useful to everybody who's listening. So the first pillar phonemic awareness, uh, there's just so much research on phonemic awareness instruction. Uh, and, and there are so many resources that are also available at cost or also for free for phonemic awareness instruction. What we want to do uh, when we're looking for what is a really um, effective either practice or, or program is ensure that, when we are teaching phonemic awareness, as often and as soon as possible, we are linking it to phonics. Yes, we can do phonemic awareness um, without any letters. We can do it in the dark, as as people say, and that's fine, but it is more effective when we link it to phonics instruction. So, uh, building these opportunities into very explicitly for your students working on these things together, Um, that will increase your uh, effectiveness. And also it just makes sense like time-wise, the more you can can weave together, uh, the better. Now, for some students, you may need to take it a little bit slower, but, but as soon as possible, let's start linking this to phonics instruction. The, the most important phonemic awareness skills are blending and segmenting. And so if you're looking at, at uh, bringing a program in, um, are they spending, enough time on blending and segmenting, are we uh, you know, spending too much time on, on other skills, sub skills like rhyming or something that might not be as critical for reading. So focus on blending and segmenting. And also uh, it's important that that blending and segmenting is happening at the phoneme level. So the individual sound levels. Um, so again, as soon as you can, that's where we need to be focusing our energy with our phonemic awareness instruction. Uh, phonemic awareness is early years, generally, an early years instructional uh, focus. And and so, you know, if you're an early years teacher, you know that short, repeated opportunities is like the name of the game for everything. Uh, but really, that's, that's the best way to approach phonemic awareness instruction, um, no matter what. So short, repeated opportunities to practice and make use of absolutely every moment that you can. So the first thumbs up note there is to link it to phonics instruction. Yes, when you're intentionally teaching your phonemic awareness, link it to your phonics instruction. But you can also make use of all these little moments throughout your day, especially in the early years where this this ought to be your focus, um, and play some blending and segmenting games during transitions. Do it as movement breaks. I won't play the video. It's super short. It's only like 18 seconds or something. But there is a linked uh, video here from an excellent website called Five From Five. And so if you if you grab these slides after, you can take a look at that video, but there's just a masterful teacher uh, making use of absolutely every moment. So she's maximizing her effectiveness with phonemic awareness instruction. I, I also wanna to briefly touch on assessment and, and I'm not gonna talk, lots about uh lots about this because we have talked a lot about assessment I just wanted to throw it out there that if you're focusing on this in your classroom in whether it be universally or in some small group work there's so many resources available online um, that you can use to help you monitor your the the progress of your students with this skill so there are free the phonological awareness skills test the past that's free make use of what your school already has maybe you have a reading a to z uh, account I know lots of schools do hey there's phonological awareness assessments right in there. You don't have to go out and spend a whole ton of money. Here in Alberta, we had many of our earlier teachers a few years ago, I guess it's a number of years ago now, uh, but participate in the Reading Readiness Screening Tool training program. Hey, why not pull that pull that tool out if you still have it on your shelf? And then uh, just another plug, although it's been mentioned a few times, the CTOT, so the Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing, not for classroom teachers. Um, generally it's a level B assessment, but it's uh, just a really great tool to have in your arsenal if you are concerned about students, particularly in the early years. The next pillar is phonics. uh, And so I'd like to talk about a few big ideas for phonics instruction. Not surprisingly, the first uh, suggestion is link it to phonemic awareness. So these two things uh, work really hand in hand and support each other. Uh, so development in one can help support development in the other and vice versa. And that is also true for spelling instruction. So, you know, so let's talk about reading, but um, that's the decoding piece, but the encoding, the spelling piece, they're so tightly linked. I just it only makes sense to tackle these things together. Uh, and so if you're, if you're engaging in a spelling program, can you manipulate it or use it in a way that supports your phonics instruction as well? And we throw this term around a lot. If you're looking at a phonics uh, program, it needs to be systematic. And, you know, what does that really mean? This again, it's another one of these words where I heard it so many times that I'm like, tell me what that actually means. And, you know, I'm still learning, still learning exactly what that means to me too. But uh, systematic, you know, the order in which we are teaching letter sound correspondences or graphing phoning correspondences ought to be based on something that makes sense in terms of supporting our students to become readers. So the scope and sequence of of the um, uh, of the letter sound correspondences needs to be systematic we cannot, Rely on, oh, we read a book today that has this particular letter pattern. Let's focus in on this particular letter pattern for this week or whatever. That is not a systematic approach. It needs to be intentional in how it's moving through um, letter sound correspondences, starting first with, with ones that are more of uh, or used more frequently, so more high frequency letter sound correspondences but also let's make sure we get some short vowel sounds in there pretty soon so we can start playing with some words. And a lot of the phonics, uh, the pure phonics programs that are out there uh, these days, have have a fairly decent, um, you know, scope and sequence and they're, they're not all exactly the same. And there is no one exact way, scope and uh, sequence to do it in, but it ought to be intentional. Um, the order of the alphabet is not in is not a, a, a systematic approach. And it needs to be explicit. What does that mean? Direct instruction. Our brains are not wired to learn this. And so we do actually have to teach it. This is not the time for a more discovery approach to learning. Let's let's get in there, let's teach this explicitly, and then let's give multiple, multiple, multiple opportunities to practice. Uh, Not all kids are gonna need as much time um, and practice, but our students who are at risk for for difficulties are gonna need a lot of practice. And so um, we need to have uh, programs that have that built in or access to resources and materials that help us provide that practice. This is an area where if, you're, if you wanna be, look at bringing in some decodable texts, decodable texts are just like such an easy way to provide practice that's targeted to the actual phonic skill that you were trying to teach. It, you know, so it just, again, it's about maximizing time and making decisions um, that, that help you. It's not, it's, it's not about doing more and more and more, but, but just maybe making some shifts so, that we're not engaging in in practices that are really missed opportunities. Uh, so, the more that we can align our, our reading practice with the things that we are actually teaching, the better off our students will be. Phonics assessments, again, if you have, I, I'm not advocating necessarily for reading agency and what's in there twice, but I'm just, my point being, if you already have access to things that that are uh, decent and aligned with what you're trying to do, um, use them. It's not always about the next best thing. Uh, so we can still be making use of the tools that are available to us. Uh, it also analyze independent writing. That's an excellent window into how our students are understanding phonics and, and processing. Uh, the uh, letter sound correspondences that we're hoping that they're teaching. And then also I just love a nonsense word or non-word or pseudo word reading assessment. So uh, George talked about that earlier this morning so I won't go into too much of that, um, but it's, it's the purest way for us to, to check in on how our students are doing. Fluency instruction, um, so as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, fluency is made up of accuracy, automaticity, and prosody. And, and those three pieces all need to be in place and working together to help to help a, a student become a fluent reader. And so these suggestions are a little bit different from, from the other ones that we that we have looked at. There's ways that we can support students in developing those Uh, obviously accuracy, uh, accuracy and automaticity, a lot of that's going to come from really solid like uh, decoding instructions so uh, that's that's a big piece of that, uh, but those are covered in other pillars. One way that we can support our students is through assisted reading. Assisted reading, there's lots of different types of assisted reading. It can be echo reading, choral reading. And and there's also lots of different people who can assist. It can be teacher assisted. It could be peer assisted. It could be grade four buddy assisted. It could be parent volunteer assisted. The The point being that they're able to hear what fluent reading sounds like and then practice it on their own. Repeated reading um, can sometimes get a bad rap because it can get a little bit misunderstood as um, reading it over and over and over so we can get faster and faster and faster. Fast reading does not equal good reading, um, but repeated reading can also be really useful for developing uh, the prosody side as well. So I think many of us are familiar with um, Uh, Reader's theater, for example. Reader's theater, if you're engaged in a reader's theater uh, instructional sequence over a a number of days, your students are engaged in repeated reading. They're having uh, multiple opportunities to engage with the same text Try a few different things, you know. See see what works. Make sure they're um, if they stumbled over a word the first time or second time. Well, you know, by the third time they're probably not stumbling over that word anymore. So repeated reading can look like a lot of different things. It does not have to look like here's the passage. Here's my timer. Thirty seconds. Go. Now let's do it again. Go. Repeated reading is just any time you're engaging students with the text more than once for specific reading uh, purposes. And then you can also engage in really specific prosody instruction and practice with your students. So, uh, at, you know, activities around um, attending to punctuation, playing with punctuation, uh, shifting where we place our emphasis within a sentence, all of these things, phrasing, phrasing practice activities, these are all uh, activities related to prosody. And prosody can sometimes be the forgotten piece uh, when we think about fluency. And in terms of assessment, again, because we have accuracy and automaticity and we have prosody, we ought to be checking in on, on those things as well. So easiest way to assess accuracy and automaticity where it's correct per minute. And so that would be the time where you put a paper in front of the student you know, check in how, how how many words do they read correctly in 30 seconds or a minute. Um, but this is only just part of the picture, again, because we don't wanna send the message to our students um, or get caught up in it ourselves, that faster equals better. Um, and so prosody is generally assessed using rubrics. There are two commonly used rubrics that are available for free online. Uh, there's the NAEP, Oral Reading Fluency Scale, which is like a, um, uh, a pretty basic uh, rubric, like general, and then there's also one that's a bit more, like breaks it down a little bit more, the multidimensional fluency scale uh, for Mazinski, and that one is uh, also good. And you may find there's no there's no one is better than the other. You may find that for for um, something more general, the general one is good, and if you're trying to dig a little bit deeper, maybe the multidimensional fluency scale is the way to go. But it's. Uh, the prosody piece is something uh, we wanna be keeping in our minds. Vocabulary instruction, I just absolutely love and could go on for days and days. But the big keys are, we want to be, first of all, we need to be intentional with our teaching on it, okay? So we need to be like teaching specific words but and decide to teach specific words. Uh, I do see, Catherine, I don't know if you're there, I do see a hand raised.
0: Uh, all right. Um, I will, Monica. Do you have a question? You unmute yourself.
1: That's Monica. Um. Well, the hand went down. Maybe it was unintentional hand raising. Yeah. Okay. Totally fine. <laughs> Thanks. So we need to be selecting words to teach. Uh, like every week, and we need to present these these words to our students in various contexts. So we need to be giving them multiple exposures and experiences with these words uh, throughout the week. And so the words that we choose would be great if if um, again, I could go into this at much more in much more detail, but they need it's best if they're words that we can they're high impact words. we can use them across multiple contexts. We, want to ensure that the activities and the, and the ways in which we're engaging students with these words are active so they need to be thinking about the words making decisions about the words it's not just um you know go under the days of, of look it up in the dictionary write down the definition maybe use it in a sentence uh active processing is um really uh I I think the best way for me to say it is they need to be working with the words, making decisions about the words and then explaining, explaining their decisions about the words. And if we engage in this daily with our students in fun and exciting ways, uh, you know, then then we're helping our students develop word consciousness. And and that's a a big key component of vocabulary instruction. And we should be focusing uh, on word meanings as well as morphology so these are two areas um, under the vocabulary umbrella uh, that are are really high impact uh, things for us to be focusing on intentionally in our classroom in terms of vocabulary assessment i think george already kind of touched on this it's really hard to find um, you know like a common vocabulary assessment but really if you're teaching vocabulary words what we want to know is did they learn the words that I that I taught, that would that would make sense. And so one measure you could consider uh, using as the two question vocabulary measure from Kearns and B. This is, is um, you create it yourself, you For each word that you focused on in that particular week, you create two questions. Each word gets two questions. One question should be answered with a yes response and one question should be answered with a no response. Then you take all your questions for all your words and you mix them all up and you give them to the students. If students can answer both the questions for each word correctly, then you can can, um, be fairly confident that that your instruction is uh, successful and they are understanding the word. Uh, close activities are another way, a little bit, um, uh, just another, uh, le- you know, informal way to assess our students' vocabulary uh, learning. And then, uh, you know, probably more appropriate for older students if, because if we're asking for writing, using question, um, recent, having students respond to questions and give reasons, um, and you could do that orally, but in the classroom, that, that would take a long time. If you're trying to get through everybody and then the final pillar which is a pillar unto itself but also as we discussed the culmination of all of these things um, but there are some suggestions for effective comprehension instruction the first is Strategy instruction does have a place. Um, absolutely, we should be teaching strategies, uh, but that strategy instruction is should be brief and and we teach the strategies explicitly. Uh, so that students can develop the ability to, to uh, activate them and employ them implicitly. If you think about yourself, when you're reading a, when you're reading a book, very rarely are you going to say, Oh, now I'm going to stop and visualize this, or now I'm going to stop and make a connection to self. We are doing these things, but we're doing them implicitly. So we want to teach us strategies, but these strategy instruction um, shouldn't take over our entire day. It should be brief and it should be. Uh, it should be related to or make sense to the um, the text that's in front of them. So, you know, uh, why are we reading this? And then what strategy would help us to, to achieve that goal? Uh, there are three really great high-impact strategies that are... Uh, uh, High impact when employed together, and they're also high impact because they're generalizable across like all different types of texts. They are predicting, finding the main idea, and summarizing, and so those three things working together um, will will support our students' reading comprehension. And I'll also uh, stop quick, you know, for a quick moment here to t- discuss about the importance of background knowledge. Background knowledge plays such a huge role in reading comprehension. Um, you know. It's not just about what's on on the paper. It's about the the uh, knowledge of the world that the student is bringing or the individual is bringing to the interaction with the text. And so we can be supporting our students' reading comprehension by helping to develop their background knowledge about the world. Uh, and so in um, in the classroom, that means, you know science matters, social studies matters, health matters, all of these things matter and developing their understanding of these pieces uh, and, and content will then, will then help them to be better comprehenders when we ask them to read a passage that has something to do about these topics. And so we can support students with that also by providing domain specific reading. So uh, using our, again, if we're in elementary or generalist uh, ability to, to be reading about all of the different things that we're learning about in our, in our other subject areas and, and uh, using those types of materials also to support our strategy instruction while also developing background knowledge. Again, the more that we can uh, weave together and intertwine, the, the better use of time we'll be making. And um, vocabulary development, uh, again, and and so that's just so important for for reading comprehension so it's in there twice. One more note about domain specific reading, if you're looking to make a shift, you have your classroom library currently uh, organized by level. This could be a a way to shake things up a little bit, take take all your books out and organize them maybe by uh, subject rather than level. And then, you know, you've got a kid who's interested in this or you want to help develop background knowledge in this hey, go check out this bin. Um, So just a specific suggestion for how to shape things up. Comprehension assessment is also really challenging. Um, Commercially available assessments are just like not that great because of the fact that um, it's about this interaction between the kid and, and and. you know, their experiences, everything they're bringing and then the text that's put in front of them. Also, maybe it becomes a word reading task rather than, you know, assessment rather than a comprehension assessment. So the best uh, advice I could give uh, based on the the learning that I've done is as much as possible, connect your comprehension assessment to your... to your other subject area content. Um, And that way you're sort of leveling the playing field of background knowledge for everybody. You can assess what they know about that content and you can also assess how well they were able to comprehend a particular type of text. And then uh, again, just sort of going back to that question of of, um, access to curriculum uh, not being a barrier, also access to like expressing your understanding not being a barrier allowing students to provide various ways of demonstrating what they've understood. Um, So whether that be speaking or writing or some other creative project um, is uh, is another way to ensure that lack of spelling ability or lack of reading ability uh, doesn't impact their ability to show you what they learned. And so, just to uh, briefly wrap up, there are so many learning opportunities available, um, and and some of them have been mentioned already. Something that hasn't been mentioned, so I would I would maybe put a plug in for that is is. Uh, a subscription to a high, highly respectable research journal or something really useful. These can be expensive, but I bet if you approached a school administrator with a plan for something like this, maybe some PD money, you know, could, could go to support like a school-wide subscription or something like that. Um, but that's a really great way to sort of plug into, you know, what's the latest information um you know key books and websites i think books especially these will depend on where you are in your journey what books are going to be speaking most to to you but those professional social media groups like the facebook groups that uh, matthew mentioned are chock full of suggestions and find some allies find your peers uh, in in your school people that you can lean on but also people that are uh going to challenge you and question you and and encourage you to continue growing um that's the best kind of peer support uh, that you could receive i think from colleagues and consider continuing your formal education whether that be through a um you know, open studies course, uh, an online thing, or uh, registering for something more formal, like a master's or a doctorate program. That's our professional responsibility to continue um, growing and learning. And with that, I will pass it back to Catherine.
0: Thank you so much, Heather. That was an amazing presentation. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. And everything you put into that, and I think one of the things that I want to highlight is that these five pillars aren't being taught in isolation, right? And you brought up the importance of the phonics being integrated with the phonological awareness instruction and working on it throughout the day in different subject areas. One thing that I, I think uh, you'll agree with is that we want to make sure that the spelling s- instruction follows the phonics instruction and it's integrated because what's going to help our students orthographically map the words that we're teaching them um and we're not just asking them to decode we're asking them to encode so decoding is sounding it out and encoding is sorry decoding is sounding it out and putting it together to get to the word encoding is when we're sounding it out and trying to figure out the letter sound correspondences or the grapheme phoneme correspondences. We need to write them down in written texts. So that's something that we want to make sure that we use in our instruction. And another thing that we can use to inform our instruction is looking at our students' work. Yes, there are great uh, screening measures available. They do take time. Uh, it is sometimes a challenge, but with as you train yourself to look for commonalities, like when you're correcting, say, if you do a spelling test or writing, written assignments with your students and you notice a common area that you're seeing errors, even if it's think, something that you thought you taught, then you're being responsive to your instruction, right? And understanding, okay, I need to go back and readdress this more.
1: I I think, um, you know, just going back to that idea of the pillars as not being these isolated pieces, I think in some ways, I'll speak personally. I didn't speak mm. too person too much personally about my own journey. but but for me, that was very helpful when I was initially starting starting on this journey was was developing an understanding of what each of these pillars were uh, sort of unto themselves. and and for me, the next step in in my learning and and my professional growth ha- has been, Uh, then examining how I can start to bring these pieces together so that they're supporting each other. Um, And so I think... I know I went so hard on on PA you know phonemic awareness and was like yeah yeah we're gonna do it and 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 that that was fine because that's where I was in my journey um and now having learned a little bit more now I'm able to start to see how these pieces really fit together and how I can help my students fit them together and so there yeah there are different uh for me, different stages, different stages that I've, that I've moved through to, to, and, and will continue to move through. Uh, Absolutely.
0: I think it's also important to highlight that this is a process of learning to learn all of this stuff, all the things that you spoke up about, you know, the science of reading and uh, looking at data analysis and the the science of screening. That's not something that you're going to learn over the summer. It's going to take time and it's okay to bring in different elements in small chunks and get comfortable with that instead of completely throwing everything out and starting anew. That's going to burn you out very quickly. Uh, And there are little bits that you can do, you know, focus on the phonological awareness and the phonics in the lower grades so you can get that result. But even for the vocabulary instruction, maybe you're not formally working with a program and a strategy necessarily. You're, you're focusing on that phonics and phonological awareness. But one of the greatest ways that we can help our students learn new vocabulary is by using it when we're in conversation when we're speaking with them. Right? Um, so if we, we try to be conscious about that, it takes a little bit of time at the beginning, but then you recognize in The changes that you're seeing in your classroom and it it becomes easier and more natural for you to use some of those tier two words that have a high value in learning because they're used across topic areas, but they're not ones that they're just going to get when they're having a conversation with their friend.